All right, good morning, New Heights. Angela said, I'm Kevin Rusak. I am the Equip and Discipleship Pastor here. And something I want you to know about me and my family is that we love music. I mean, we really are crazy about music as a family. Live music, all kinds. We, do, we have dance parties spontaneously in my kitchen all the time. The kids have Spotify accounts. I mean, we just love music. And last, this, earlier this year, we got kind of sucked into... I'll call it a musical phenomena. Some of you are familiar with it. It's called American Idol. It's a TV uh, musical talent show. And we knew it was going to be a great season when this young man named Alejandro came walking into his audition and he played a song that he'd written. Check out this clip. Wow, right? Uh, Man, so we watch this guy every week, and he just wowed us. He wowed the judges. And you're sitting there, and you're just going, how does he do that? And then I bet there are people out there who are watching him going, I wish I could play like that. And so my son, Ethan, who's going to be 14 this next week, he's wanted to play guitar for a couple of years, and and he's tried, and he's quit. But apparently, just recently, he's gotten serious because he came to me and he's like, Dad, I really want to learn. So I'm like, okay, let me teach you some basic chords. And we started to do it and he started going, Dad, my fingers hurt so bad. I mean, look at that. And then he's like, my fingers don't do that. And, and uh, I can't do that. And I, and I said to him, I said, son, I said, right now you might not be able to do that. But if you put in the effort to practice, eventually you're going to be able to do things you can't do right now. And the reason I'm sharing that simple illustration is what I've just described to you is the path of discipleship that leads to spiritual growth. So welcome back to our series this morning in the book of 2 Peter. And my entire outline is on the YouVersion Bible app, even some links there to some websites I'm going to reference. So if you would please go ahead and turn on your Bible or open your Bible to 2 Peter, go to chapter 1. And while you're getting there, let me do a little bit of review. So last week, Lee described in 2 Peter 1, in verses 5 through 7, a detailed list of what apprentices of Jesus are to look like. And he described specifically eight character qualities that we should be growing in on our journey toward Christ-likeness. And Lee said this last last week in this service. He said, this topic is so important, we're going to turn it into literally a two-part series, like a series within the series. Lee talked about what we are to do and look like, and what I'm going to do this morning is I'm going to come behind that and talk about how we get there. Because a lot of people last week, they heard Lee and they went, man, that's awesome, Lee. I want to become like Jesus. I want to live like that. But here's the reality. If we're honest... You might say, like my son Ethan did about learning guitar, you might go, I can't do that. Like, like my brain and my body, and, and like I, I can't like love people like Jesus did, and, and I just don't do self-control very well, and goodness and godliness, I can't do those things. 
To which I would answer and say, maybe not so well yet, but you can. You can. And this morning, I want you to get your hopes up. Because that's what the scriptures say to us. Jim, two weeks ago, as we were going in, starting in this series, he taught on 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. I want, I want us to look at those again. It says, his divine power, and we've got to understand that everything I'm going to talk about today is dependent on the Spirit's power. It says, his divine power has given us everything that we need. How much does everything include? I mean, everything. It says, everything we need for a godly life. Through our knowledge of him who's called us by his own glory and goodness. These he has given us, his very great and precious promises, so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. Okay, here's a big observation about those verses. Just because everything is provided for us to live a godly life does not mean that we automatically live a godly life. The Apostle Paul really understood this. And so as you read his letters, he says, yes, everything has been provided for us through Christ. Therefore, 1 Timothy 4.7. 1 Timothy 4.7 says, train yourself to be godly. And so the big question that we're going to attempt to answer this morning is how. How do we train ourselves to be godly? And, and before we get to that, what I want to do is get us really crystal clear on what we're talking about, a godly life, what it looks like participating in the divine nature, what Lee described last week as, as disciples of Jesus. What is the bullseye? Like, what is the bullseye of our faith? Where is all this going? Why are we here? And so in case you missed it last week, what I'm going to do very quickly is I'm going to go back through those eight things that Lee described last week. He called them like the stairway of, of sanctification. And so let's look at them together. 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 5 through 8. It says, for this very reason. What's the reason? Because all of this has been provided for us. Therefore, make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge and to knowledge, self-control, and to self-control, perseverance, and to perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, brotherly love, and to, and to, and to our mutual affection, other translations say, and to mutual affection, love. Verse eight, for if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So these verses are describing what is called putting on the character of Christ, or to, to use Paul's language, this is putting off the old man and putting on the new man. But I want to point out something. The beginning of this list where it talks about add to your faith, the beginning here of this list presuppose, presupposes you're already a disciple of Jesus, meaning that you have a genuine faith that results in you being born from above and it's marked by the living presence of the Holy Spirit in your life. That's who Peter's writing to. So what is New Testament faith? It is that we simply believe that Jesus is the one who's in charge of everything, right? He's the Lord, in other words. And we believe that he's good and he's trustworthy. And if you really believe that, 
The natural result is that you will cast your whole being on Jesus as far as you understand it. And what this looks like is literally in one move, you find forgiveness for your sins and you take his yoke upon you to learn from Jesus how to live. That's what this New Testament faith looks like. And the idea that those two things can somehow be separated, like on one hand we can find forgiveness, and on the, on the other hand, you know, we, we cast our life on Jesus to, to become his disciples. The idea that you can separate those two things is as A.W. Tozer pointed out years ago, that is simply a modern day heresy. And it's a heresy that is sadly choking the life out of the contemporary Western church at the moment. So the next verses that we're going to look at that talk about goodness and self-control and godliness and love, those are unnatural and pretty near impossible for someone who has just prayed some prayer to get out of hell, but they've never surrendered their will to Jesus. They've never surrendered their heart to Jesus and said, you're, you're the Lord. And, and in doing that, in saying that, I'm going to become your apprentice to learn from you how to live. And so before we move on in this talk, I just want to pause right here. And I want to encourage you just to think about your faith. Does your personal faith in Jesus naturally lead you to cast your whole being on him and to learn from him how to live because you believe that he knows best? So I just encourage you just to check, check on your faith. Okay, let me keep going. Peter says to add to that kind of faith, goodness. Another, another translation say virtue. This is goodness in action. Here's the definition. Training yourself to simply do what is good and right. And I used to read this, this and think, wait a minute. Why not take your faith and add knowledge to your faith first? Because that seems like what we do, right? I mean, like somebody puts their faith in Jesus, they get saved, and immediately we start going, okay, now you got to study this and know this and study this and know this and read this. And, and so why does it say add to your faith goodness first? Because here's something I want you to think about. Right information is important. I love good information. But the Pharisees were technically biblically literate. And yet what did Jesus say about them? He said the inside of the cup, their hearts were a mess. And Jesus knew that you got to take care of the inside of the cup. He knew, he knew that a good heart leads to a good life. And so Jesus wants us as first priority to become like him in heart. And so this leads us to adding to our goodness not. Knowledge, here we go. Uh, the knowledge here is that we come to know why the good and right you do is good and right. You're operating from insights into the reality of it all. And here's the thing, knowledge finds its right place as we set our hearts on the path of goodness. Not having a knowledge for knowledge's sake, because what that does is it puffs us up in pride, but having knowledge that leads to a greater connection with God and people. And then in that knowledge adds self-control, which is the capacity to carry out your intentions and not be thrown off by any turn of events. And then in your self-control, add on perseverance. Perseverance is the capacity to stick with the course and to stay with it over the long haul, regardless of how you feel. And by the way, if you're trying to just furiously take notes, again, this is all on the YouVersion Bible app, uh, in my outline. Okay, 
Add to your perseverance, then, these scriptures say godliness. And godliness, I want you to think about it this way. Seeing the world bathed in the presence of God. Because God is everywhere. He's in the, he's in the air around us right now. And, and when you have that understanding and that awareness, what it does is it manifests itself in a deep reverence for him and a respect for people everywhere you go. And then add to your godliness, brotherly love. And this is the kindness and gentleness of care which one sees among siblings and true friends. And finally, on top of all that, the thing that binds it all together is agape love. And this is the kind of love that characterizes God himself. And this is the kind of love you can read about it in 1 Corinthians 13 and we see it demonstrated on the cross. So you guys, that's the bullseye. That list right there is the bullseye of discipleship. And Peter wraps this whole list up in verse 8, and he says, these things should be increasing in measure. In other words, growing in your life and in my life. Now, we don't arrive tomorrow, but there's movement in these directions. And Peter is not the only one to describe this phenomena of steady growth in, in the Christian life. All the New Testament writers described it. Peter, I mean, sorry, Jesus, here's what he had to say in John 15, 8. He said, by this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. So what do you think about that list? Is that, that's the norm, right? That's what the world sees when they look at the church today? Well, not exactly. Recently, David Kinneman, who is the president of the Barna Research Group, he directed a study in response to the critique that he'd heard from a lot of non-believers, and it was this, that present-day Christianity is a religion full of hypocritical people, that their lives do not look very differently from those who claim no faith at all. Like, they, they talk the talk, but they don't walk the walk. And the critique is so bad that many millennials are leaving the church, some deconstructing their faith because of the hypocrisy that they see. So Barna did its homework to examine Christ-likeness of Christians in attitudes and in actions. Are you going to be shocked at what the national study found? Here's what they found. 51% of those who called themselves Christians tend to have actions and attitudes more like the Pharisees than Jesus. And only 14% Literally one, a little more than one out of every 10 self-identified Christians seem to represent the actions and attitudes that Barna found consistent to be those of Jesus. And so you might be thinking, oh man, what about evangelicals, right? Because the number's got to be higher for evangelicals and it, and it was just a little bit, about 23% were Christ-like, roughly one in four. And so now before you diagnose this as just a modern day problem, I want you to realize Peter was writing to people 2,000 years ago. They claimed a real faith and, and knowledge of God in Christ, but they continued to live in worldly behavior. And he warned those people not to be ineffective and unproductive in their supposed knowledge of God. So ineffective, unproductive knowledge was a problem back then, and it appears from the research to still be a problem today. So let me ask you, what's the disconnect? 
What do you think the disconnect is here? Do you think that this list that we just read in 2 Peter is like a fairy tale maybe? Or it's like some kind of impossible ideal? Or did Jesus really mean what he said in Matthew 28, 20, which is part of the Great Commission? Jesus said, teach them to obey everything I have commanded you. That's Jesus. And the Bible is resoundingly clear that this is not an impossible ideal, that transformation in Christ-likeness is actually possible. And it's not just theoretically possible, it's actually historically proven. There's a great cloud of witnesses. Peter was, was one of them, he'd be included, who tell us of a life of God that is vastly richer and fuller and deeper, that righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit can be ours. That's Romans 14, 17. And history is full of the names and the faces of the transformed. I mean, you could just go on down the list from Augustine to St. Francis to Martin Luther, Julian of Norwich, Thomas Akempis, A.W. Tozer, Dallas Willard, Richard Foster, and on and on. History is full of the faces and names of the transformed. And you guys, I am personally experiencing it. <laughs> I am not the same person that I was when I became an apprentice of Jesus over 30 years ago. I barely recognize who I used to be, glory to God. And hopefully that's your testimony and that's, that's your story. So if it's possible then, if it's true, as 2 Peter 1.3 says, his divine power has given us everything we need to live a godly life then why are so few people today living it? And we've talked about three enemies that are lined up against us, and they're very, they're very real. Lee's talked about it, and, and, and we've talked about it here, the world, the flesh, and the devil. But something that, that we haven't talked about yet is simply the problem of non-discipleship. And it's a lack of practical understanding of how sanctification or, or we call spiritual formation, how it really works. So for the rest of this talk this morning, that's where I'm going to go. I want to talk about how we grow in Christ-likeness and why it seems painfully slow or almost non-existent in some people, while others experience the radical transformation that the scriptures describe. So before we talk about what Lee called moving on the stairway of sanctification, we do need to talk about a couple of things that are hindrances to our personal spiritual growth. A lot of Christians have these and don't even know that they have them. But we've got to talk about them and deal with them because they get in our way. The first we'll call wretched sinner syndrome. And these are people who think as they hear that list in 2 Peter chapter 1, they go, is that even possible? I mean, I don't, that's not even possible. Like, I'm a sinner, right? So, so that means I can't change. And they live with, with this identity week in and week out. And, and they just go, man, uh, I can't change. And sin is my identity. And, and I'm not really going to change until I die and go to be with Jesus. And so I'll just live focused on how sinful I am. And you guys, that is so sad and defeating. And I just want to say, read Romans 6, read Romans 8. Um, but I, I have to say this, though. I, I want to bring biblical balance to this. When we talk about our sinfulness, we've got to see that, that when we understand that we, are, we have sin in our lives, this is the starting point. It is the initial move towards Christ-likeness. Our, our moving towards Christ-likeness is not a move towards, towards self-esteem, like, you know, like, I'm okay, you're okay. No, I'm not okay, and you're not okay. We're all in serious trouble. 
And that's, that's where this whole thing starts. It's got to be our starting point. But forgiveness of sin is just the beginning. It's not the end goal of our faith. And we can't forget that the cross gives us what's called imputed righteousness. That is, the, the free gift of Christ's righteousness is given to us, but the cross also contains what the hymn writers call the double cure. And the double cure is this, that we are born from above and we're also formed from above. It's the work of the cross in us. So forgiveness and grace put us on the path of discipleship. And so if we're going to have any kind of faith or any kind of hope to personally move on the stairway of sanctification, my narrative that, that I'm just an awful sinner must be replaced with the biblical narrative that says, in Christ, I am no longer defined by sin. I have been reconciled. The power of sin has been broken in my life. And now my identity is that I am a saint who still occasionally sins. So we got to get our thinking right here on this. Okay, the second big hindrance to our growth is confusion about grace and effort. And I really appreciate what uh, Richard Foster has to say about this. It's a little bit long, but hang with me. He says this, Many today have a practical theology that simply will not allow for spiritual growth. Having been saved by grace, these individuals have been paralyzed by it. For them, any attempt to make progress forward in the spiritual life smacks of works righteousness. And they've concluded that sin is their fate until they die. Heaven is their only release from this world of sin and rebellion. Hence, these well-meaning folks will sit in a pew year after year without a millimeter of movement forward in the spiritual life. Wow. Do you think that this is connected, this, this type of thinking is connected to what the Barna researchers have found in the church today? I think it's directly connected. So when it comes to understanding grace, there's grace that leads to forgiveness and there's grace that leads to formation. And that is what you see in the scriptures. Let me say that again. There's grace that leads to forgiveness and there's grace that leads to formation. And Peter brings this up a little bit later in this letter. We're gonna look at it in a few weeks. 2 Peter 3.18, he says, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Grace doesn't lead us to passivity. We actually grow through it. Amen? So let's remove the confusion. What is my role and what is God's role on the stairway of sanctification? How does it work? Well, God has designed it that we work in cooperation with him. Lee used this verse last week. I want to reference it again. Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. It says, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Why fear and trembling? Because it's an awesome thing to work in cooperation with the living God. And it says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. So everybody say with me, work out. Okay, now everybody say, for it is God. Who's responsible here? We both are. We both are. Another way of saying it is how one of my favorite authors, Jerry Bridges, says it. He says, we must choose 
the narrow path of disciplined grace. And I want to illustrate this, this idea of disciplined grace. So I want to show you a picture. This was me 25 years ago. It's an old picture because I'm old, right? So um, I was climbing this mountain with my friends, and we were up in Glacier Park in Montana. This is great northern. It's, a, it's an incredible uh, hike and climb. But we're on what I call like the, the ridge of the mountain, you know, and the wind is howling. And here's the thing. If you slip and fall, you're going to roll about 1,000 feet that way, or you're going to roll about 1,000 feet that way. You want to stay on that narrow path. And when I think about the narrow path of disciplined grace, I always think about this picture here. Because when we come to this in Christianity, people are so confused, and the confusion will knock you off the path of spiritual growth, and you will end up in a chasm on one side or the other. One of the chasms is this, the idea that I have to do it all myself. This is pull yourselves up by your bootstrap spirituality. This is, this is looking at that list in 2 Peter chapter 1 and just thinking, I got to give it a good old American try, right? And you just, that's what you do. And you just grit your teeth and, and, and you look at the spiritual disciplines and habits of righteousness as just kind of a way to try to keep a checklist to be a good Christian. And here's what happens is that you try real hard to quit being selfish or proud or whatever, but ultimately you're doing it in your own strength, your own power, your own resources. You get frustrated and you fall into the void. Have you ever met anybody who was stuck there? On the other side, it's just as bad. These are people who think that God will do it all for me. That God will just somehow instantly zap me with virtue or zap me with godly character like a bolt of lightning. And so what happens is people go passive and they hope that, you know, maybe if I just come to church, maybe something will happen to me. I don't know. And what happens is they get very little or no heart change, and they get frustrated, and they fall into the void. So this leads us back to the narrow path of disciplined grace. Why is it disciplined? It's disciplined because we must do some things. It's grace because God does what we cannot. You guys, here's the reality. You and I need an inside job. We might be able to change our behavior for a little bit on the outside, but only God can change a heart. Only God can take somebody who's selfish and arrogant and make them loving. We need our hearts changed, and that is the work of the Holy Spirit. And here's how this works, guys. And you might go, that sounds really mysterious, Kevin. It's really not. At least our part. Here's what our part comes down to. It's really just a balance of direct and indirect effort. Now, direct effort, we all, we all get that. I mean, direct effort is, I just, I just do good. I, I do good. And, and we hear that message. And that's good. But here's how indirect effort works. Indirect effort still requires effort. But here's what it looks like. We do some things in the Christian life. We call them spiritual disciplines or habits of righteousness. We do those things, but you know what those things do? They're a vehicle to move us into God's presence where he can change us. Where he can transform our hearts and transform our character and make us like him. And so the result of that is that we do right. But instead of just running around trying to do right, I become the right sort of person. Do you see that? That's what the scriptures describe. And I love what theologian Wayne Grudem, he says this beautifully. He says, part of the application 
of redemption is a progressive work that continues throughout our earthly lives. And it is also a work in which God and man cooperate, each playing distinctive roles. This is called sanctification. Sanctification is a progressive work of God and man that makes us more and more free from sin and like Christ in our actual lives. So this, I think, as you see this, it naturally leads to the question, so what is my role? I mean, what specific effort leads to becoming like Christ where I naturally begin to obey everything that Jesus commanded, Matthew 28, 20? Well, this isn't really hard to understand either because millions of people right now around the world are doing it to learn to do things that they couldn't naturally do a few months ago or a few years ago, like becoming a guitar player or a golfer or learning a foreign language. Our role comes down to training. And again, this is 1 Timothy 4, 7, train yourself to be godly. And there are three essential aspects of this training that I want to talk about. And so to help us understand this and wrap our minds around it, I'm going to illustrate it with an illustration of learning to speak a foreign language. Let's say you're here this morning and you want to learn to speak a language that you don't currently know. Let's say Arabic, okay? Let's pick an easy one, (laughs) right? So you want to learn Arabic, okay? In order to learn Arabic, you know what? You have to have a picture or an idea in your mind about what your life would look like if you learned Arabic. Like, you know, what opportunities would that create and what would it be like to speak Arabic? And you would also have to have an understanding of the cost involved in time, and in resources, money, whatever, to, have to, to, to learn Arabic. You'd have to understand that. And, and so this is what we're going to call the vision. The vision that goes into the project of language learning. And unless somebody has this vision, or better yet, it has them. The language pretty, pretty surely is not going to get learned, right? Have you ever tried this? If that, if that vision doesn't have you, you're, you're going to be done before too long. And so a lack of vision is probably why fewer Americans learn to speak foreign languages because they don't really see the value, and so they don't put in the effort. But think about the phenomena of learning English around the world right now. English is being learned by millions of people at a phenomenal rate. Why? Because those people have a compelling vision of what their lives would be like if they learned English higher paying jobs, more opportunities. So they are going for it. And if the vision is strong enough and compelling enough, generally it will just pull everything along with it. And they'll learn the language even if there's an environment of difficulties and distractions. That's how powerful vision is. So do you see where I'm going with this illustration? How this relates to discipleship in the modern church? Are you guys following me yet on this? Okay, let me finish my, applica- uh, my illustration and then we'll make application. Because you have to have more than just vision. Vision is the starting point. But if you're going to learn Arabic, you also have to have the required commitment to learn it. You actually have to exercise your decision-making abilities. Because personal transformation rarely happens by accident. <laughs> like Lee pointed out last week, you can't just wing it. I mean, I think it's crazy for a person to be wondering day in and day out if they were going to learn, you know, he or she's going to learn Arabic. Like, oh man, is it going to happen? Is it going to happen? Am I going to learn Arabic? Is it going to happen to me? I don't know. Like, that's crazy, right? No, because a person with, with vision and commitment generally will make a plan. 
They're going to make a plan to learn that language. They're going to go out and they're going to sign up for language classes. They're going to listen to recordings. They're going to buy books. They're going to hang out with people who speak Arabic. They're going to immerse themselves in the culture. They might even do an intensive trip to someplace like Jordan or Morocco. And then they're just going to practice, practice, practice. And so what I've just described are the means known to be effective in transforming people into speakers of Arabic. This is not mysterious, right? (laughs) This also happens to be the general pattern of being spiritually formed in Christ. You saw that coming, didn't you? (laughs) So our role in sanctification is not mysterious. Vision, commitment, plan. Could you guys say that with me right now? Vision, commitment, plan. You could just say VCP if that's easier, you know. Um, So let's make some application right here, right now. As a person who's here this morning and you're going, I've got faith in Jesus, do you have a compelling vision for for following him and becoming like him? Like, do you see that? What following Jesus and becoming like him, do you have a vision? Do you you know what he wants for your life? Meaning, the kind of person he wants you to become. And are you aware of the time cost and the energy cost to become that person? And have you and do you continually commit yourself to him to learn from him how to live? And do you plan to be with him so that you can become like him? I think if you're here this morning, and you, you might just, some people might be going, man, I just kind of hope I become like Jesus. You know, I don't, I don't know. It's like that person going, I hope I learn Arabic. I just don't know. And so if you're not sure how to answer those questions personally, let me talk for the rest of our time together about those three things, vision, commitment, and having a plan to grow spiritually. First, vision. Now, we become Christians, probably you became a Christian for all sorts of different reasons, but let's get clear-eyed vision on God's goal for you being a Christian. God's goal is Galatians 4.19. This is the bullseye. It's Christ formed in you. Another verse that really spells this out very clearly is 2 Corinthians 3.18. And it says, And we all, with unveiled faces, reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. I love how Richard Foster describes this. He just says it simply this way. The goal of the Christian life is not to get us into heaven, but to get heaven into us. That's good, isn't it? To get heaven into us. And I was recently teaching uh, this to uh, some of our college interns in STS, and, and the light bulb really came on for, for one of the, the young ladies, and she said this in class. She said, I thought that the, the whole point and goal of Christianity was to learn about Jesus. I didn't know that the point was to become like Jesus. And so, as we talk about this vision, let me talk about value for just a second, because in our culture, Value produces action. Isn't that true? Like we sacrifice for what we value. People across this room, you sacrifice for what you value day in and day out. Guys, if we don't see the value of becoming like Christ and being like him, we will not put in the effort. And so I want you just to ask yourself, how do I value Christ? 
And am I letting the distractions of the world and the values of the world cloud that out of my, out of my thinking? And so I want to speak to it for a second. What is the value of, of formation in Christ-likeness? Well, to start out, the scriptures tell us all over the place there's eternal reward. And I'm excited. We're going to be doing a series after 2 Peter on heaven, and we're going to talk about that eternal reward. But there's also a reward in the here and now. We get intimacy with our creator, and then I become a better, a better spouse. We become better parents. We become better friends. We become better roommates. We become better coworkers. In fact, you guys, the best salt and light strategy is spiritual formation. That is the best salt and light strategy. Our growth impacts the world. Positively or negatively, like the Barna research shows. Gandhi, you guys know who Gandhi was, as he looked around at the Christianity that was being practiced in Great Britain at his time, he said this, if Christians would live according to their belief in the teachings of Jesus, we all would become Christians. So does this vision have you of spiritual formation? I just want to encourage you, get your hopes up. This is God's goal. And, and this process is not mysterious, but it will cost you something. Let's next talk about commitment. Dallas Willard says this about commitment. The problem of spiritual formation, or the lack thereof, among those who identify themselves as Christians today is not that it's impossible or that effectual means are not available. The problem is it was not intended. It means people, they say, I, I believe in Jesus, but they don't intend to grow. And so to move on this stairway of sanctification, I actually have to intend to do some things, to change my schedule, change my patterns, change, you know, commit new habits and practices. Like Lee said again last week, we can't wing it. So lastly, what I want to talk about is I want to talk about plan, VCP plan. If you want to learn Arabic, you have to plan for it, right? So we have to plan to learn from Jesus how to live. And you better believe that Jesus had a master plan to, to teach his 12 apostles how to live. I'm not going to put this on the screen, but if you're taking notes, you can write this down. Mark 3, 14 and 15. And in Mark 3, 14 and 15, it says that Jesus had a twofold purpose for the 12 to, to follow him. And here was the twofold purpose. The first, it says that they would be with him. And the second was that they would be sent out to preach and have authority over demons. But why would, he, why would it say his first priority was for them to be with him? Well, they were supposed to watch him and copy him. To learn his way of life, they were to copy that. Do you know what we do, you guys? Is that we call people to imitate Jesus' actions, like out in the world, like be good, be kind, be loving. We call people to imitate his actions without first calling them to imitate his personal activities. What were Jesus' personal activities? How did he train? Well, he was regularly spending time with his father, connecting. We call that intimacy. Intimacy was, was his first priority. And the second thing that he was doing is he was continually seeking to be filled with the Holy Spirit's power in everything that he did. We call that dependency. 
And what I've just described should be the goal for the rest of your life. These two things, intimacy and dependency. And so how do we, how do we train into that? Well, we, Jim and Lee both have referenced this in the last two weeks. We call them spiritual disciplines or habits of righteousness. Practicing things like this are means of growing in grace. They're things that keep us intimate, connect us, and they keep us dependent. And so this past spring, you might remember, we went through a series called Drinking Deep. And we talked about these habits of righteousness. I'm going to put them up on the screen here real quick. You've got two different kinds. You've got spiritual disciplines for un- to unplug us and spiritual disciplines to help us to engage. The unplugged ones, what they're designed to do is they're designed to weaken the power of ingrained habits in your body. And they're designed to keep us from the distractions of the world and the devil. And, and some of them are fasting, simplicity, solitude. That means just being alone with God for periods of time. Silence, Sabbath. These are our disciplines to unplug. And disciplines to engage, these, these are going to help you to be with God, to grow in intimacy. And these are prayer. This is just talking with him throughout your day. It keeps you intimate and dependent. And then the word. Bible reading and meditation take the true narratives about God, us, and the world. And what they do over time is they work them down into our body and soul and it changes us. But we need more than just a little dribble of water of the word to reorder our thoughts and and our heart and our mind. Just like a drop of water every five minutes doesn't get you a shower. Do you know what I mean? (laughs) We need to be immersed in the word. I would encourage you. I'm doing a two-year Bible plan right now. Some of our other staff and pastors are doing it too. Uh, Find a good two-year reading plan. There's some great ones out there. And then worship and community and service. And as, as you guys, as we practice these, as we unplug and as we engage with Jesus day in and day out, we will begin to experience obeying him in everything he commanded. And you guys, it becomes an easier yoke. We'll take steps forward. We'll probably take a lot backward. But over time, it's going to prove easier as we connect with Jesus on the journey. I love what Jan Johnson says here. I'll I'll close with this thought. She says, we do the connecting and God does the perfecting. It's really good. So we're going to move into uh, just a time of response and reflection as as we get ready to to move into our ministry time. And I just want to ask you this morning, as you're hearing all of this, What is your plan? Maybe your plan involves putting like TWJ, time with Jesus on your calendar. You know, we we plan, (laughs) uh, schedule things that we care about. So maybe that needs to go on your calendar or, or maybe you need to sign up for an equip class. Maybe that's a part of your plan or maybe you need to go to one of these ministry fair tables that are around the room and you need to sign up to serve. Or maybe it's, it's getting involved in a community group. Community is so powerful to form us and shape us. Or maybe your plan is to pick one of those disciplines that I just had on the screen to unplug or to engage and to try some new things. And if you want a couple of resources, uh, you may or may not know this, but on the New Heights website, we have a page called Drinking Deep. 
And we created it in the spring and it's got all of our, our teachings there that you can listen to on all of the disciplines. And then it's got practices that are connected with each of those. I'd encourage you to go back and, and, and practice some of those things or, or pick up a copy of The Good and Beautiful God by James Bryant Smith. It's an excellent resource to talk about connecting intimacy, dependency, giving practices, super good. And, and lastly, here's what I want us to do just to kind of close out this time is I'd like us to pray. And so you might want to bow your, your head, close your eyes, um, but I just want you to ask God a couple of things. First, what, what you might want to ask him is, God, is there anything that I need to remove? Because the verses that we looked at earlier say, add to your faith. And for most of us in this room, to add things to our faith probably means that we're going to have to remove some things. God, what do we need to take out so that we can add in? And also, you might just ask God, God, is there anything that's clouding my vision? Am I just distracted by the values of this world and the cares of this life, and I really don't see value in becoming like Christ and putting the effort into the relationship? And so you might just want to come to Jesus and say, Lord, I repent of my value system. I change my thinking. I want your value system Help me to see you. Help me to see your glory, your value on display. Or maybe you might just go, I don't know if I've ever made a commitment to follow Jesus. Maybe I did back when I was in fifth grade, but I need to freshly commit to being an apprentice of Jesus, saying that he's the Lord and he knows best and I'm gonna give everything I've got to follow him and to learn from him and renew your commitment today. Let me pray for us and, and just encourage the prayer teams are going to come around and, and I would encourage you to get prayer this morning. Pray with your friends in response to this. Lord, please give us a clear vision of life with you and help people all over this room just to commit their lives to follow you and help them to make a plan of pursuit. We love you, Lord. You're worth it. We pray all these things in Jesus' name, amen.